want to welcome you to Central Presbyterian Church, those of you here with us in the sanctuary and those joining us online. Everything we're about at Central is transformation, transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that you experience that this morning. With the new year, we began a study of the book of Galatians, and by way of reminder, Paul and Barnabas had planted churches all throughout the Roman province of Galatia. And after they left, some Judaizers came in and sought to undermine the teaching of the gospel. They taught Christ plus. You need to need Jesus as your Messiah, plus functionally, you must become Jewish keeping all the law if you really want to be saved, if you want to have a solid relationship with the God of heaven. So how would Paul respond to that distortion of the gospel message? Well, I was taught as a little boy that you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. Maybe that's just a Mississippi thing. Another way to put it is a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. In every one of Paul's letters, he starts with a spoonful of sugar with encouragement and thanksgiving, things that he sees that's beautiful in the people of this church, but not here. Here he jumps straight to the problem. He skips the thanksgiving, skips the encouragement, and goes straight to the heart of the matter. Why? Because it's so serious. This is a matter of eternity, of life and death, of salvation and damnation. Let's pray together as we hear Paul's words and ask the Spirit to apply them to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, would you send your Spirit and open our eyes to Jesus. Open our ears to the Spirit that we might follow Christ and love him, and we might know the gospel and live according to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Hear God's word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stand forever. Why should I listen to you? You're not the boss of me. You ever heard that before? Ever heard someone say, oh yeah, who says? Who's in charge around here anyway? Sometimes when we're met with those sentiments, there are things that need to be clarified. For example, when our kids say those things, there are important truths that have gotten mixed up. Like who's the parent and who's the child? Needs clarity. And if you listen carefully to Paul's writing to the Galatian Christians, you can imagine some of those Judaizers tell Paul, who says, you're not in charge around here. But Paul sets out to clarify things and clarify them fast. He says he's astonished in verse six. It's like, I can't believe it. Can't believe what? That you would desert him who called. That word desert is a a sense of changing allegiance, like someone becoming a traitor. 
He's genuinely astonished that the Galatian Christians would walk away from the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and began to entrust their identity to how religiously observant they could be to all the Jewish laws, as if keeping the law satisfactorily would make them right in God's eyes, as if God hadn't done enough. If the incarnation, God taking on flesh and coming to this world, living a perfect life, being crucified in judgment, being raised from the dead, ascended to the throne, and now sending the Spirit to all of us, if all of God's work is not enough, we have to add our obedience if we're going to be right in his eyes. When you put it like that, it is astonishing that the voice of these false teachers would be weighed against what God has done. What needs clarity? Paul starts with, we need clarity over the nature of authority. Look at verse 8. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's some strong language. That word accursed, anathema, speaks of something that's consecrated to God for his destruction. Paul's calling down God's curse, God's destruction on anyone who would seek to distort the message of the gospel. It's like he's saying to them, go to hell. And he includes himself. He's saying, even if I preach something different from the pure gospel of Jesus' grace, if an angel from heaven comes down and says something contrary to what you received, may he or anybody else be eternally condemned. Now, why would he say something like that? Because Paul knows that the gospel has authority over us all. It diagnoses our problem and shows us the way to healing. The problem was not that these Gentiles and these churches in Galatia hadn't become sufficiently Jewish enough in all their rituals. That wasn't the problem. But the problem was that they could think any of their obedience was enough that they could think any of their works were good enough to put them in right relationship with God. That was the problem. And Jesus' work for sinners is the only solution. The gospel is God's assessment of our lives, telling the truth about us, that we are sinners saved by his grace alone. And if I or anyone else seeks to change the truth of that gospel of grace, may we be condemned. It's important for us in this culture because maybe you're not looking for our culture certainly not looking for an angel to distort the gospel the good news but there's plenty of distortions of good news to go around plenty of distortions of what is our key problem and what is the solution what's the good news of deliverance for example some will diagnose the deep problem in humanity is that the real you has been suppressed If you could just find a way to let the real you out, then you would have joy in that expressive individualism, the philosophers say. No one has the right to judge you. No one has the right to tell you you can't do what you want to do. You should be your best you that you can be and live your truth. That's what the world tells us. Diagnosis as our problem. We're not living our truth. But friends, it's it's a lie from the pit of hell. It tries to make normal the sins of our lives. It make normal the sinful affections of our hearts. It's not good news at all. The God's word and the gospel that judges us has authority over every one of us. It tells us the truth about our sin. 
That our sin makes us enemies of God and it reveals the remedy for that, for forgiveness and healing found through Jesus Christ. How willing are you to receive God's assessment of your life? God's showing you sin and God's showing you your need and him providing the remedy in Christ. Don't give authority in your heart to anyone else. Don't let anyone else change you. Anything else tell you something differently about what is the most important good news you have ever heard. So you and I are sinners and God sent Christ for us to make us alive together with him forever. Paul clarifies the nature of God's authority in our lives. Secondly, he clarifies the nature of the gospel. And that word gospel is familiar and it means an announcement of good news. In Paul's day, sometimes that was an announcement of deliverance. Sometimes that was an announcement of a, a new king coming to rule. But listen to how Paul describes that nature of the good news. In verse six, he says that they had turned to a different gospel meaning it was of a different kind. It, it's not the same as what Paul had been preaching. Galatians, he th- he's saying, if you think what they're saying is like what I'm saying, it's not. It's completely different. He preaches that Christ saves through his grace. The Judaizers are proclaiming that faithfulness plus Christ saves. And those are different gospels. It's not simply another. He changes the word in verse seven. Another one would be one of the same kind. Like if you go to a restaurant and you ask the waiter, can I have another glass of water? That's another. But Paul says, no, that one is different. What the Judaizers are proclaiming is different. It's no gospel at all. It's not good news at all. There is only one good news from heaven. Verse seven says, it's the gospel of Christ that saves. The other preaching is a distortion. A word actually is reversal. What about their preaching is a reversal? What's being reversed? Well, the grace first principle is being reversed. The gospel says that we are called by God's grace. We talked about it last week. That's favor given to us when we deserve the opposite. We're called by God's grace giving us favor. We're accepted before him because of what Christ has done. And therefore, since we belong to him, we follow after him. God claims our life through faith in the sacrificial work of Christ. And therefore, we live for him obediently because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. That's what Paul means by grace First, that grace, that favor given when we deserve judgment, that grace establishes a relationship between God and his people. And it changes who we are. And then it changes how we live, but it never goes the other way. We can't commend ourselves by our obedience. We can't recommend ourselves, God, I'm gonna be so good that you're gonna love me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, God, I'm going to obey so well that you're going to shine your face of affection upon me. That's not the gospel. Paul says that's a perversion of the gospel that can send us to hell. It's anathema, he says. Think of how silly it would be for you or I to go to our earthly father and say, you know what? I'm going to be so good that you're going to let me be your son. I'm going to be so good. I'm going to do everything so right. I'm going to make you so proud that you're going to make me your child. Now, wait, that's not the way earthly fatherhood works, right? 
How much less would that work before our heavenly father? He gives us an unmerited favor, a grace that is undeserved, and he draws us into relationship with him. Because his grace draws us into relationship, we begin to live as his sons and his daughters. We rest on grace first or performance first. You can't rest on both. Pavarotti, the famous tenor, tells a story from his childhood when uh, he was trying to decide what he wanted to be when he grew up. His father was a baker and introduced him to, to the beautiful, the, the wonders and beauty of music and even got him a professional tenor to help him with his singing. Pavarotti also enrolled in a teacher's college. And when he graduated, he went back to his father and he said, Dad, should I be a teacher or a singer? And his father said, Luciano, if you try to sit on two chairs, you'll fall between them. For life, you have to choose one chair. That's what Paul is saying for us here. Do we rest on God's grace, his gift of favor in the crucified and resurrected Christ, or do we rest on our performance according to a standard? Or put it another way, when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Our judgment has been poured out on Jesus. He had taken it for his people. Did Jesus really mean it's finished or it's kind of finished, but you've got to do your part. It's up to you to be obedient enough to commend you to the God of heaven. It's not what Jesus meant. If we try to sit on two chairs, Christ's work and our work, we're going to fall between them to eternal damnation. The Judaizers taught, if you really want to make sure that your relationship with God is solid, you've got to dance. You've got to believe and perform. But it's a lie. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, that's not me. Why are you going on and on about this? I'm, I'm not a person who depends upon my performance like that. Well, let me offer you a different perspective, different ways that we reverse that grace first principle. Do you recognize that impulse within your heart that makes you feel better than other people out there? And I'm, I'm better than those people out there doing this particular thing. That impulse that makes you feel like I'm better than is actually a reversal of grace. It says I'm better because I'm more obedient. I matter to God more. It's a lie. It's not true. Or some of us sometimes try to treat our children like they're the big sinners in the family. We have to harshly correct them. But for us, we struggle to repent or even apologize to our children. It's a reversal of grace first. I have to hide my sin if I'm going to be acceptable. Or sometimes we get obsessed over other people's sins, especially the big ones like sexual sins. But mine, eh, they're not that big a deal. My sins like gossip and slander and all the rest, which Paul labels alongside sexual sin, they, mine aren't so big a deal. But all those other people, wow, they're really in for it. It's a reversal of the grace first principle. When we need other people to be big sinners, bigger than us, it's a reversal of grace first. Friends, what we've been given is a solid foundation of the gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are not having good news of comparison. There is no good news in comparison from self to others. 
None of those things are good news. There are lots of good news stories around which we may arrange our lives sometimes, but they don't save. The answer is never Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus my really locked in reformed theology. That, that makes me good in God's eyes. Nope. It's not Jesus plus my politics that makes me right in God's eyes. It's not Jesus plus my reputation. It's not Jesus plus my wealth. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what reconciles us to God. Maybe your reversal of that grace first principle looks a little bit different. It actually is a twisted form of pride and it presents itself as self-pity and despair. Sometimes we can become so disappointed with ourselves We can say, I can't believe what I did. It's not me. I can't believe what happened. Well, I can. I can believe it because my heart and yours are shot through with the same kinds of sin. When we begin to trust in, I would never do those things. When the truth is, yes, you could. Because there's sin in your heart just like there's sin in my heart. Sometimes when we fail to meet our own expectations, when we overestimate our ability to obey, we are filled with self-pity. But it can't give you life. Self-pity can't give you peace. Grace first. God knows what is going on in your heart. He knew you when he claimed you. He knows you now. And he offers unmerited favor because Jesus defines who we are. Who Jesus is and what he has done defines the identity of our lives, the direction of our lives, and defines to whom we really belong. It's not self. The only way that sinners are reconciled to God is through the work of the bloody cross and the empty tomb and the occupied throne where the Lord Jesus reigns. Which chair can bear the weight of your soul? Is it your performance? Or is it Christ's work? As Christian people, we sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. It's the nature of the gospel. And finally, Paul clarifies the nature of people in verse 10. As a species, we tend to look for all kinds of gospels, all kinds of announcements of good news that might give our lives some sense of meaning to gain the approval of other people, to make us matter in the eyes of somebody who's really important. Sometimes people arrange their lives around the the good news of having right and acceptable positions on all kinds of issues. It's the gospel of being politically correct, but it's no gospel at all. There's no solid footing to build your life upon the shifting sand of what somebody else says is popular or cool because tomorrow it's gonna be something else. Our world is changing so fast If your sense of who you are is based upon liking the right stuff and opposing the wrong stuff and supporting the cultural prevailing winds, then your life is set to be set out to sea, wandering without a rudder. You can't rest. You can't live your life according to the whims of the affections of other people. You can't live your life by being, quote, on the right side of history on every issue. It won't work, and it's not true. But surely we do try. We seek that gospel. We seek that good news of the approval of man. But it's no gospel at all. It's no good news at all. Look at verse 10. Paul says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
If I were doing that, I would not be a servant, or really it's, oh, the word is, a slave of Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not trying to curry favor with anybody. I'm not trying to soft pedal the truth to make it easier to swallow. I'm not looking for the favor of other people because it's Christ's favor I already have through his grace. It's Christ's favor that we have through his grace that is rooted in our lives and it's his opinion is the one that matters eternally. That's true for you and for me. We have one voice to attend to. We have one master, the Lord Jesus, not dozens of positions or cultural approval metrics. But it's so easy for us to live for the approval of all kinds of people. It can lead to any number of compromises in how we live our lives. It can also lead to a tribal fracturing into factions and groups. If you've paid attention to our culture over the past five or maybe 10 years, there's a phenomenon where angry people clump together about certain issues. All the people who are angry about one issue unite together and they fit together and their anger unites them against everybody else. We see that dynamic in our culture. It says you're either 100% with me or you're 100% against me. And they're united in outrage, united in anger, but There's no good news in arranging your life around outrage. There's no good news in arranging your life around being angry at the right thing at the right time. There is no gospel in that kind of anger. The only place to rest is not in pleasing people, but in living in light of the work of Jesus, the one who makes us beautiful, the one who makes us acceptable based on what he's done for us, not what anyone else would say about us. Why does your life matter? What gives your life meaning? It's what Jesus has done for you. Let me close with this. One commentator suggested that when we think about that question, what we have to commend us to God, put it this way, if you work a full day's work and you receive a fair pay, it's a wage. If a person enters a contest and competes and wins a trophy, then it's a prize. And when a person receives recognition for some high achievement, then that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage or winning a prize or receiving an award and yet receives it anyway, that's grace. That's grace. It's unmerited favor uncoupled from our performance. That's the gospel because you and I can't trust in our wages or not in our prizes for performance or our awards for service done. We rest on Christ's wages, Christ's performance, Christ's service. That's the gospel. Who says? Who says that you can be right with God through trusting in what he's done for you, uncoupled from my performance? Who says that? God does. There's no life outside of resting on Jesus, will you trust in him today? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have given us the truth of the gospel, that we are sinners in desperate need of your work. We we can't ever find rest for our souls. We can't find meaning in our lives by trying to please the people around us. You've told us, Lord, that we are sinners And yet we receive your favor, 
your goodness, your kindness, your forgiveness, your healing through your grace. The grace of the crucified and resurrected Christ. So Father, we ask that you would clarify these truths in our own hearts. Clarify the way that we live so we know we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to the one who claimed us in his goodness and grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.